Welcome back to Half the Battle. I'm your host as always, Daniel Levy, your co-host Shaq. We're going to be talking UFC New Jersey, Robbie Lawler versus Colby Covington, and Shaq is going down this Saturday in the East Coast. The former interim champion, Colby Covington, is trying to make a case for a title shot against the former champion and the legend, Ruthless Robbie Lawler. Ruthless Robbie Lawler, one of the greatest welterweights of all time. I mean, during his championship run, he had to be one of the best fan favorites out there. I mean, he brought it every time, the Rory fight. I know we all remember where we were when that fight went down, and uh, he's a legend, man. And now he's in here against Colby Covington, one of the uh, you know newer generation guys on 170. And I mean, man, Colby's impressive. It's, it's rare when he even loses rounds. So this is uh, going to be one of the bigger tests in his career. He's already beaten guys like Maya and Dos Anjos. So if he gets this win, Dana promised him a title shot last week. So let's see if he uh, gets a job done. Yeah, I mean, with Colby Covington, you're talking about a very controversial guy, but as far as his fighting style is concerned, relentless. I mean, the guy can grind for 25 minutes straight. Robbie Lawler, we're talking about one of the greatest knockout artists in the history of the sport. So the winner of this fight, I'm expecting them to win in pretty convincing fashion, Shaq. Yeah, 100%. And when these guys do, and it usually isn't convincing fashion. Like I said, Covington rarely loses rounds. And, you know, Robbie, if he wins, it's generally going to be a vicious KO. So I can't wait to see what happens. Same here. Well, before we break down these fights, Shaq, we got to let them know that they can save 10% off your bets, your individual package by using the promo code Shaq at bestfightpicks.com. Obviously, over 20 units on the year, close to 40% ROI. And I know you got two plays lined up this weekend looking to keep it up. Two plays this weekend, possibly adding more and plan on it being a very good weekend. Got the profit last week down there in Canada, even though, man, that wasn't the best card. Got the job done and I'm excited for this week. You know, we got buy one, get two free. So same thing as last week. If you buy my one event package this week, if it doesn't come through then you get the next two events free that's ufc uruguay and uh 241 for sure make sure you check out shaq's bets also you can go to bestfightpicks.com and check out my bets as well also having a really good year and i got two plays right now a straight bet and a parlay looking to take care of business weekend so bestfightpicks.com shaq let's get right down to business because first up in the flyweight division we got two debutants as hannah goldie who's five and no takes on miranda granger who's six and no Currently, they got Hannah Goldie minus 140. The comeback on Miranda Granger is plus 120. Well, Shaq, you got the disciplined point fighter in Hannah Goldie taking on the opportunistic finisher in Miranda Granger. Who do you think imposes their will and gets uh, their first UFC win here? Goldie coming in off the contender series. Granger seems like she's a very talented girl as well. Like you said, uh, opportunistic uh, submission specialist, it seems like. She's very long. Like so, you know, basically throw the, the jab, uh, low kick combo. I would say Goldie's definitely a little more competent on the feet. Only thing with Goldie is she leaves her chin in the air, but I don't think that's going to be a factor in this fight considering the chances of her getting knocked out are very slim. And this girl's a submission specialist anyway, so I think Goldie's going to take this fight as long as she minds her P's and Q's, and that's how she typically fights. She likes to dance on the outside of that cage. You know, uh, she has very good, uh, likes to stuff takedowns with her back on the fence and then, you know, get off on knees and look to hustle off the brakes, and I like that, man. So I think Han Hannah Goldie's a little more polished than Granger and I think that she's gonna you know win every round you know I think Granger's gonna fight tough but I think Goldie is just gonna separate herself at the end of these rounds and and you know get a 30-27. Yeah Hannah Goldie's very disciplined out there she's got that point fighting game down to a T. I was actually surprised that she didn't get signed initially like right off the bat after that first contender series fight because 
She seemed like she fits right in line with most of the ladies in that 125-pound division. I thought she was going to make a great addition. Well, apparently they thought so too because a couple weeks later they signed her on, on short notice. Now she's taking on Miranda Granger and Luke with Granger. What can we say? Six wins, six finishes, six submissions. So if you leave your neck in there with a girl like Miranda Granger, you think uh, you think you get a little comfortable leaving your arm in there. She will take it home. So you have to be super careful. And if Hannah Goldie was someone that took a lot more risks, I'd actually consider taking a shot on Miranda Granger in this spot. But the thing is, Hannah Goldie stays so disciplined. She only does exactly what she needs to do. And for that reason, I think she comes out here and wins the unanimous decision. Now, next up in the welterweight division, we got Claudio Hannibal Silva. He's 13-1 and and Cole Williams is 11-1. Currently, they got Claudio Silva minus 450. The comeback on Cole Williams is plus 360. Well, Shaq initially was supposed to be Claudio Silva versus Ramazan Amiv, and holy shit, what a fight that would have been. Now uh, they called up my boy Cole Williams on less than, less than two weeks short notice. He's coming off the couch. He hasn't fought since 2018, but he is 11-1 coming into this contest. Do you think Cole Williams can get the biggest upset on the card this Saturday night in Jersey? I'm going to keep this one short. You know, I... I I think Cole Williams is a nice guy, you know, definitely paid his dues on the local scene, but this is a whole different ball game now. Now he's taking this fight on short notice. You need you need more than a short notice camp to prepare for a, a black belt on Claudio Silva's level. I mean, this guy's jujitsu can get him pretty much out of anything. We're talking about a guy that beat Leon Edwards, a guy that y'all see in the top five these days. And, you know, the only thing with Claudio is he's been inactive. So now he gets to stay in there, build up, build up a rhythm. And I think you're going to start seeing better performances. He did this camp at ATT. I mean, he was getting ready for a war with Ramazan Amiv and now you know it's uh, his job uh, his job is going to be a lot less harder on Saturday with uh, Cole Williams the second this fight hits the mat it will be over yeah look uh, Claudio Silva has unbelievable jiu-jitsu third degree black belt I believe I mean this fight hits the mat one time it will be over shortly after with Cole Williams what he brings to the table is the kid he does hit pretty hard. I mean, he tries to knock people out. I've seen him rock plenty of people on the regional scene. But, man, he's getting up there in age. And I noticed a decline in his last two fights. You know, his second to last fight, I was like, okay, yeah, there's a guy that could definitely be a UFC prospect. And then the fight right after that, we're like, man, he's getting up there in age. He's not showing up in the same kind of shape. And word on the street is this guy might have a real bad weight cut coming into this fight as well. So the chips are not aligning in Cole Williams' favor. I think it's KO or bust for Cole Williams. I think Claudio Silva look on the feet Claudio is always a liability because he fights with his chin straight up in the air but as soon as this fight hits the mat it's going to be a formality so I got Claudio Silva here via submission now next up in the flyweight division we got Mara Romero Barella she's 12 and 5 and Lauren Murphy is 10 and 4 currently they got Mara Romero Barella minus 185 the comeback on Lauren Murphy is plus 160 well, Shaq, uh, Lauren Murphy's still on the UFC roster. She's somehow ranked top 10 in the world. Uh, do you think that's going to be the case after this weekend? Lauren Murphy, uh, she's a former Invicta champion. Actually, both former Invicta champions. So, you know, uh, seems like she's been following. I think she's 2-5 and five, or 2-4, 2-5. and 2-5 two and two and if you include Nico. 2-5 uh, and five in UFC-related fights. And, you know, the first two, Sarah McMahon and uh, Liz Carmouche. You know, at the time, I guess you could say no shame. But then, you know, her one win against Kelly, uh, her first win against Kelly Fashos. I mean, Kelly Fashos took that fight on, like, four days' notice. And, I mean, the first two rounds were very competitive and... She's very underdeveloped, man. So, you know, you would think an experienced person like Lauren Murphy would be able to... I mean, she did finish the fight, but, you know, you would think uh, it would be a lot smoother, you know, without the knockdowns and et cetera. So, 
Then uh, she uh, fought Caitlyn Chukagan. She lost that fight. She got straight up Chuk. I actually bet Chuk in that spot, plus 170 in her debut. And then she uh, she kind of broke after that fight. She went to the tough house. And I mean, if you you know even watch any of some of the comments she made during that season, I mean, you could just see where this girl's head's at. After she lost to Nico, she said that she thought 125 was going to be the answer to all her problems. You know, when she lost that fight, my boy Eddie Alvarez, shout out to Eddie. You know, he said that she retired. And, uh, you know, she came back, had a, a fight against Barb Honchak, and we all know Barb Honchak's completely past her prime. Uh, she What else? Lost to Angela Magana. <laughs> <laughs> she lost to Angela Magana. She also finished Jillian Robertson. Over. <laughs> but, uh, you know... She uh, went to split decision with Barb Honchak. She won that fight for sure, but it was pretty much two old ladies in there fighting back and forth. You know, one's a slightly a little fresher, one's just slightly not completely done. You know, like Barb Honchak, that's why she's not in the UFC anymore. She got finished by Mata Ferry and Bruno oh, Ferry. You get finished by Roxanne Mata <laughs> So, uh, yeah, so now then she fought... Uh, Sajari Eubanks after that got completely, you know, handled from bell to bell, man. So I think Lauren Murphy's a tough girl that likes to likes to move forward. She likes to uh she's just not very fast, not a very good athlete, but she'll she'll move forward. You know, Mara Barella on the other hand, she had a very tough uh beginning of beginning of her career. And I'll tell you what, man, she's come a long way since she uh, joined American Top Team. I mean, she got an Invicta belt out of it. You know, she came over here. She's getting first round finishes. That means, you know, she lets me know that, hey, I can do my job. I can handle someone potentially like Kalindra Faria. She handled her less than two minutes. And then, you know, the Chukagian fight, look, similar to Lauren Murphy, um, kind of a similar situation happened. You know how things are when you fight Chuk. Sometimes you don't throw enough. Sometimes you get shoot. <laughs> and, uh, she, but, you know, she showed some good things in that fight. Good right hands, good calf kicks. And, you know, props to Chuk, man. She did it again. So, And then in her fight against Tyler Santos, she fought a 15-0 girl from Brazil in Brazil. And, you know, the odds were against her in that fight. And Mara, you know, did her thing. She pushed her in the fence. She was the aggressor, you know, for the first two rounds. And, you know, she showed her experience in that fight. So I, I feel like... Uh, Mara Barella's trending in the right direction, training at ATT. She's got good people around her like Formiga. My boy Formiga, Formiga's teaching her all those hug and stall tactics. And, you know, I feel like it's going to pay off in this fight. Lauren Murphy, you know, she likes to move forward, but the older and older she gets and the second that things aren't going her way in this fight, I see her getting mentally deterred. And I see Mara Barella basically cruising to a decision victory. I feel like she's a younger fighter, like I said, trending in the right direction. And uh, I think she's going to get a 30-27 victory here in New York. Barella versus Murphy is essentially a passing of the torch type fight. I mean, Murphy represents that first wave of women's MMA, and she hasn't shown any evolution in her game at all. I mean, Barella has made massive improvements since her UFC debut, and it seems to me, Shaq, like she's in a really good place mentally training over there at ATT. Like you mentioned, Formiga in her corner. Uh, I really think that he's been helping her game out big, and Barella is going to pressure Murphy into the fence, clasp on that extremely strong body lock and drag drag her to the mat from there you know lauren murphy is two different people when she's going forward she's one person when she's being backed up she's a completely different other person lauren murphy does not like to be backed up and i think that barella is about to put some serious pressure on her not only that barella has a major physical advantage in this spot she's just so much stronger not just physically but mentally too she has a way way bigger will to win the thing i'd be most worried about with barella is when she faces better 
better strikers, yet here we are talking about her last fight against a former Muay Thai world champion, and I'll say that she held her own on the feet there, Shaq, and last but not least, uh, not only did not only did she hold her own there, Shaq, I expect an even better version of Barella in this spot. She's developing, so uh, man, I, I think she's going to come out here and bully Lauren Murphy, use that nice body lock, get her to the mat, and that's going to be a 15-minute ass-whooping, so I'm going Mara Romero Barella for the win here. Next up in the flyweight division, we got Matt Danger Schnell. He's 13-4, and four, and Jordan Espinosa is 14-5. and five. Currently, they got Jordan Espinosa minus 120. The comeback on Matt Schnell is plus 100. Shaq, these are two of the more exciting flyweights on the roster. You got the very explosive Jordan Espinosa versus the always improving Matt Schnell. Which way are you going? Yeah, this is a very evenly matched fight. You got Espinosa. I mean, this guy started his career off very shaky. And I mean, he's put his head down and he's grinded. He won two contender series fights, both finishes, one submission, a brutal darts choke, and where he put a man to sleep. And then the second one, he uh, got a knockout in the third round against a very tough Hawaiian. Then he comes in there versus Eric Shelton. And, you know, uh, people think that win was controversial. It was a very close fight. Very close fight, you know. But... People that bet on Shelton thought it was controversial. <laughs> it was a very close fight, but the movement of Espinosa his uh he's a very smart guy man you know he knows how to use that movement to his to his benefit and you know now he's in here against Schnell who uh, you know very similar to Espinosa at least in the UFC came out the came out the gate stumbling i mean he got knocked out versus Font then he uh got knocked out against Hector Sandoval with those little ground and pound shots and then uh he went on emphasis on little <laughs> when i say little i mean <laughs> <laughs> I just mean a little uh... a pin drop. <laughs> but then, man, Shells he's uh, turned it around. He changed camps. He's he's uh, he left ATT. He went to uh, CSA. Uh, what's that dude's name again? Uh, Bolanos. Uh, yeah, Gastano Bolanos. You know, out there with those guys, and he's been doing his thing. He's on a three fight win streak with the wins over Marco Beltran. Now, you know, I I like Marco Beltran, but. No offense, he is kind of harmless, you know. <laughs> That's why he's not in the UFC anymore. Uh, you know, I mean, he had a, his record was eight and six when he fought Schnell. Uh, if I if I had to guess now, I'm assuming it might be less than five hundred. <laughs> but uh, you know, then he fought Naoki Inoue, who was a very young, talented, twenty one year old kid from Japan. And uh, you know, Schnell did his thing. He landed the hardest shots the first two rounds. Seems like he kind of slowed down at the end, and you know, Naoki started landing his jabs. But Naoki. Really, you know, he's a very talented kid, but he just didn't have that commitment to necessarily explode the, the hole in Schnell's game, in my opinion, and that's his chin. You know, he didn't follow up with that too hard enough, you know, and uh, it, it, it backfired on him, and he's not in the UFC anymore either, and then now we got uh, his fight with Lewis Smoker. I mean, guys, I don't know if you know my thoughts on Lewis Smoker. Not a very nice kid, but he sucks. And <laughs> how, how, how much did you bet on Mateus Nickel out of these? But Lewis sucks. I'm sorry. <laughs> And that's all I'm going to say about that. So, But I think Schnell handled them all accordingly, treated them accordingly, at least the, the first guy and the third guy. And, uh, you know, I think Schnell is definitely trending in the right direction and long term for sure. Now, uh, Espinosa, on the other hand, he, like I said, he guy likes to dart in and out. He's very powerful. I definitely give him the power edge over Schnell in terms of just landing quick shots. When we've seen Schnell get dropped in the past, it's because he gets beat to the punch by a faster guy. Um, Rob Font caught him with the straight right. Hector Sandoval, you know, uh, was able to, well, he kind of slammed him. And then, it, like I said, there were little tiny shots on his chin. So, you know, I feel like Schnell is trending in the right direction, but I'm not sure if he's been tested 
in that sense here. Now, Espinosa's fight with Schnell, that was a step up in competition for him. I thought Espinosa did as good as, you know, he possibly could have, man. You know, Espinosa's weaknesses, he kind of, with all that movement, he might slow down in the late rounds and he start, you know, start dropping his hands and, you know, his chin will be available and Schnell's a very talented guy. So I think it's a 50-50 fight. I feel like, uh, you know, if you got good dog money on one side, then, you know, that's the way to go. But I feel like it's a, it's accurately lined. I feel like both guys... I don't see either guy. I feel like this being one of those real classic flyweight fights where, you know, it's going to be back and forth with the scrambles. You know, I feel like Schnell probably edges him out on the scrambles, but on the feet, I feel like at some point Espinosa can get a couple knockdowns here, like a couple quick knockdowns. So, you know, I feel like it's a closely matched fight. I'm going to go with Espinosa by split decision, but I think it's a lined accurate. It's going to be a hell of a fight. going to be super entertaining while it lasts. Matt Schnell's definitely made some big improvements because when he first came into the UFC, he was a very high prospect, gets knocked out twice in a row, and people were saying, oh, man, I mean, what happened there, right? You know, it seemed like one more fight, and he's about to be back on the regional scene. And I'll tell you what, the kid put his head down, put together a three-fight win streak. Now, granted, the competition was kind of soft. I mean, Marco Psycho Beltran, Naoki Inoue, and Louis Smolka, hey, he went out there and beat those guys, you know what I mean? He's still on the roster, so all the respect in the world to him for that. But now, the only thing I got to say is Jordan Espinoza is not Marco Psycho Beltran or Louis Smolka or any of these guys. This is going to be a real fight. So, basically, I love this kid, Espinoza. He's one of my favorite prospects in the flyweight division. Once I saw him uh, on Contender Series, I was like, oh, shit. Wait till you see the finished product of this guy because the way he moves, you know, and I was exaggerating a little bit when I was calling him my flyweight Yoel Romero because he's so athletic and he does love to throw those sidekicks to the thigh. But the bottom line is uh, when this guy finally puts it all together and really understands his game, I mean, we could be looking at a potential top five guy because uh, there's not a lot of flyweights as explosive as Jordan Espinosa, and it's interesting to say that about a weight class like flyweight, where everyone is so damn fast, and they're all known for their speed, but this guy's just a different caliber athlete, and Schnell's definitely put it all together, good submission game, his guillotine, his triangle, even his stand-up game, he's got that ATT calf kick game down, he knows how to point fight, as you saw in the Naoki Inoue fight, and you know, if you're uh, not quite on his level, if you're uh, you know not really cut out for the UFC, and you pull a Louis Smolka in there, Matt Schnell will go out there and finish you too. The thing is, I don't think he's going to be throwing, I don't think he's going to be trading in the pocket quite as viciously with Jordan Espinosa as he was with Louis Smolka. Now, if he does, hey, credit to him, but I just simply don't think his chin can take a Jordan Espinosa shot like it could a, a Louis Smolka left hook. So I think these two are going to stand and bang. I think it is going to be an exciting fight, but I think somewhere along the way, Jordan Espinosa reminds everyone that, hey, there were some chin concerns from Matt Schnell. He just fought a little softer competition. Now it's back to back to the tough ways. I'm going Jordan Espinosa via vicious knockout here. Next up in the flyweight division, we got Antonina Shevchenko. She's seven to one, and Lucy Pudilova is eight and four. Currently, they got Antonina Shevchenko minus one forty-five. The comeback on Lucy Pudilova is plus one twenty-five. Well, Shaq, you going with the uh, the sister of Antonina? Excuse me, you going with the sister? Of Valentina, or are you going with um, the judge's favorite fighter, Lucy Pudilova? Sisters? <laughs> what sisters, man? <laughs> you mean cousins? But uh, yeah, man, it's going to be a good fight. Uh, Sh uh, Shevchenko shot the bed. I mean, I wouldn't say necessarily shot the bed. It was just a miss. People misinterpreted where she was at in her career. I mean, this girl was literally coming off a win over your local cafeteria 
your lady on contender shit. <laughs> don't talk shit about my lunch lady, bro. <laughs> you know, your high school cafeteria lady in her contender series fight. You know, the lady that used to, you know, fucking... Sloppy Joes. Sloppy Joes. <laughs> <laughs> you know, she, she beat the ca- the cafeteria lady on contender series. And then she fought Gian Kim, who's another complete fraud, too, in her, in her second fight, who missed weight by five pounds. And Antonina really didn't get tested in those fights, man. Mm-hmm. She she cruised. She didn't get challenged at all. So the one time she actually did get challenged, and of course they lied to Shevchenko extremely high. <laughs> um, but she's nothing like her sister. I've told you all that. Like, like her sister. She's, like her what? Oh, I mean, uh, her her fake sister, but <laughs> she's nothing like her fake sister. Uh, <laughs> you know, or, or, uh, Valentina's a hundred times better than her. This is how it usually works. Sometimes the the younger ones always. Uh, the, you know, the better one. But anyways, man, they, they lined her extremely high in that fight. And Roxanne Mataferi moved forward, and that's how you beat Anina. You know, she's a very, she's like a robot, like Valentina. She's only going to throw a few, few combos or right hook. She's going to stand very firm on her feet and look to just throw the typical southpaw shots and, and you know, move and, and run and just stay, you know, disciplined. So if you can... Uh, charge her forward recklessly with some big punches she does have a little bit of a kickboxing chin and we saw that her ground game definitely needs a lot of work man uh you know now she's in here with Pudalova, and i see why they did this matchup because Pudalova don't wrestle <laughs> and uh you or know, win decisions <laughs> you know so i feel like lucy man lucy's thing is you know lucy's very young you know when she was in those fights um you know her last three fights are what morass irene and uh Carmouche. so you know the morass fight she's 23 years old you know she got taken down in that fight not that it's that that matters here but arena fight you know one thing that shevchenko has going for her is that muay thai plum and you know one thing that happened in that fight is when lucy got in that plum with arena i mean arena was kneeing her head off and the thing in that fight is that that's at 135 pounds and lucy it seemed like you know possibly she had some extra weight on her that she didn't need and you know but she was still coming forward in those fights and she was still you know uh trying to push the pace on arena it just didn't work out because she took so much damage arena slightly landed the cleaner shots but then she drops to 125 pounds against Liz Carmouche and you know I'm in not, her home country in her home country and it's just one of those things where Lucy's a little fishy to me because I'm not sure if she if the weight thing you know even though she might be a little undersized at 35 I'm not sure if that was something that she necessarily needed to do because you know 125 when I saw her on those scales before she fought Liz it looked pretty ugly, man. Her face was completely drawn out. She's a very tall girl. I think she's like 5'8", five, 5'9", five, if I'm not mistaken. So I don't know why she she dropped weight classes. But even though she did the Liz Carmouche fight, I mean, it wasn't the typical typical aggressive Lucy. I mean, she was sitting back a lot. She let Liz do her thing. Liz, if you turn off the sound in that fight and don't listen to the crowd, you know, Liz Lowkey put on a clinic. It was just at the end of the uh, two of the rounds, Liz got reversed or, you know, gave a position and the crowd would go crazy and they would think Lucy won the round. And, you know, that just wasn't the case, man. So I feel like Lucy's still young. Of course, I think there's a chance that she gets better, but she's going to have to throw. She's going to, and she can't stop. She can't, there can't be periods, long periods of where she's just sitting there out in space with uh, Shevchenko because then I'm telling you right now it's going to be a decision for Shevchenko's favor you know I feel like Lucy's going to have to fight the best she ever has and look if she can switch up her style a little bit go to that ground game but it's nothing she's never it's something she's never done 
you know, then she might win. But unfortunately, I got to go with Shevchenko. I think that she's going to kind of frustrate Lucy. You know, when Lucy moves forward, tag her with some straight shots. Lucy likes to cut a little easily for my for my liking as well. And I think that it's going to probably be a close fight, but I just think Shevchenko is probably going to get the better of the clinch exchanges. I don't know if Lucy can get those takedowns. Does she have one takedown? And Zero. Zero takedowns in her UFC career. And, you know, it's not saying that it can't happen, but I, I got to go with Shevchenko. I think she's just slightly the more polished fighter, and I think if it goes to the scorecard, she definitely wins. Yeah, look, there'd be a couple things that would need to happen for me to bet Lucy Pudilova in the spot. Number one, I would need to see some sign of a ground game that, you know, she can go out there, wrestle, get these takedowns, because as we saw against Roxanne Mataferi, you put Shevchenko on her back, it's a it's a fish out of water. You, you know what I'm saying, Shaq? And then we're like, okay, well, Lucy Pudilova, she's been around the UFC for a while. She's had a couple fights. Uh, let's let's go check the stats on that. Let's see how many takedowns she's attempted and landed. Guess what, Shaq? The number is zero. So now it's like, oh, man, it's going to be a stand-up fight. We know even in fights where it looks like Lucy Pudilova clearly won. I mean, there was this fight between her and Lena Landsberg where... Lena Landsberg got her eye completely shut. Lena Landsberg had to spend a week in the hospital. Looks like a clear 30-27 for Lucy Pudilova. And they raised Lena Landsberg's arm the winner. You know, and you can say, oh, it was an anomaly. It was this, it was that. Okay, what about the fight with Irene Aldana? Now, that was a little bit closer, but a lot of us still thought Lucy could have, you know, could have got her arm raised. Nope, sorry, sorry, buddy. Then the next fight against Liz Carmouche, it's like, hey, hey, Lucy, you're in your home country. You're in the Czech Republic. Let's go out there and win this decision real quick. And then it seemed like she won. Nope. <laughs> so, I mean, basically, the judges hate Lucy Pudilova to a point where you cannot trust her in a fight that's most likely going to go to decision. If she has some kind of takedowns in her arsenal, I'd be like, okay, yeah, we'll just take Antonina down. But I don't see her doing that either. Basically, what's going to happen here is Antonina is going to throw a bunch of shots at the air. You're going to hear Valentina in the corner screaming, hey, hey. Like, every five seconds, you know, like, uh, <laughs> Antonina can just flick her fingers in the air and you'll hear, hey, hey. Even when Antonina gets hit, she says, hey, you know. So, there's going to be a lot of A's, a lot of, look, I like Lucy, I'm rooting for Lucy, but the reality here is I think Antonina Shevchenko is probably winning this decision, so... I'm going Antonina via unanimous decision. Now, this is about to be a good one to talk about because next up in the welterweight division, we got Mickey Gall. He's 5-2, and two, and Salim Tuari is 10-3. and three. Currently, they got Salim Tuari minus 125. The comeback on Mickey Gall is plus 105. Well, Shaq, everyone probably remembers that we were the original guys that went out there and faded Mickey Gall big against Randy Brown, against Diego Sanchez at that plus 225. I mean, I know... Our hardcore fans remember the epic breakdown before that Randy Brown-Mickey Gall fight. I mean, shit, I had seven units on Randy. My boy Shaq had ten units on Randy. That shit came through. And now uh, he's still in the UFC. He's taking on Salim Tuari. But what's interesting about this fight, man, is that Salim uh, seems like the kind of opponent that Mickey might be fighting on the regional scene. So I got to know your take on this. Is Mickey ready to overcome an opponent like Salim? You want me to take it first? All right, fine, I'll take this shit first. Look, th this is my opinion on the matchup. When this first got announced, I was like, oh, shit, I get to fade Mickey Gall again. Fuck yeah, I love I love fading Mickey Gall. I'm the original guy to fade Mickey Gall. They used to call me Mr. Fade Mickey Gall. I mean, they used to call me Mr. Seven-Unit Season on Randy Brown. Look, the bottom line here is that Mickey Gall got into the UFC 
without any experience. I mean, he beat some random O&O guy on the regional scene, told Dana why I want to fight CM Punk. So Dana was like, I'm in. He got in. You know, the guy beats a... He beats a photographer, Mike Jackson. He beats an actor, CM Punk. He beats a fraud, Sage Northcutt. And then it's like, hey, kid, now you got to fight Randy Brown. <laughs> you know what I mean? Randy Brown's actually a real fighter. And, you know, I thought it was going to be the first front kick to the face. Uh, Mickey Gall gets knocked out. And it turns out it wasn't the case. Turns out what happened was it was a 10-8 first round for Randy Brown. It was a 10-8 third round for Randy Brown. And Randy almost got a 10-8 in the second too. But when he was on top pounding on uh, Mickey, Mickey, look, he's a black belt in jiu-jitsu. He got a nice sweep and he ended that round on top. So he got the second, but he got blown out the water in the first and the third. But you know what? The fact that he survived, I was like, you know what, man? Like, even though he's a really green guy, like, he's pretty damn tough to, to survive that. Because I thought... I thought he was about to. I thought his head was about to be in the fifth row in that fight for sure. So the fact that he even made a sweat in one of those rounds, that gave me a little bit of respect for Mickey. And then the next fight, he goes in there against George Sullivan. You know, on the show, we're you know we're doing the same shit about how you know George Sullivan actually fought real fighters. You know, he's in being in there with Nico Price. He did all these things. Mickey finishes him under a minute. First single leg takedown, takes the back, chokes him out. I was like, okay. Then they put him in there with Diego Sanchez, and I'm like, dude, like. They're rushing this guy too fast. Even if Diego's on some decline, we're talking about losses against Matt Brown and Ally Akinta and, you know, a bunch of other legitimate real fighters. I was like, dude, let's take this plus 225 on Diego Sanchez. And, you know, he went out there and finished Mickey Gall. But now with Salim Tuari's case, Salim Tuari isn't some proven UFC fighter like Randy Brown or Diego Sanchez or all these guys. Salim Tuari is a guy who's 0-2 in the UFC. Now... The reason that people are betting him in this spot is because, man, he, he didn't get finished by Worley Alves or Keitaro Nakamura. All these other fighters got finished by them. And it's like, yeah, the fact that he didn't get finished, does that make him a good fighter here? I mean, Mickey didn't get finished by Randy Brown. Does that make him a good fighter? So the thing here is I don't put too much stock in the fact that he didn't get finished by Worley Alves or Keita Nakamura. Because when you actually watch those fights, it's not like those guys went out there, dropped him, Salim hung on, he's so tough, this and that. To me, it seemed like Salim was basically surviving for his life the entire time. And, you know, Worley and uh, Keitaro, they treated it like a sparring session, man. They they took it easy on the boy. They felt bad for him, you know. If if Salim presented any kind of threat to Worley or Keitaro and actually went after them, fought with any kind of spirit then you probably would have seen a finish. Then you would have probably seen Worley with a flying knee, with a guillotine, with something big. But Worley, in his mind, he was probably like, oh shit, this kid's not even going to throw at me, so I can literally just cruise and win an easy decision. And that's what happened. Now, the difference here between Salim and Mickey is that Mickey's actually going to come to fight. You know, it's fun to make fun of Mickey's technique when he's fighting real guys like Randy Brown. But here against Salim, I really think Mickey's going to go forward and try to fight Salim. And, you know, Salim might try to counter, might try to do this and that, but it doesn't seem like Salim ever dictates the range or the pace of any fight. He never establishes his jab, you know, starts getting off on big shots. It's just, you know, every now and then he'll throw a counter, this and that. He's okay surviving. He's okay saying he went the distance. He's okay losing decisions. I just uh, don't really see 
why someone can be so confident in Salim in this spot. Like, I get that Mickey's not ready for the UFC level. I get that, you know, he's been hand-fed and all these things. But, like, what the hell has Salim Tuari done, man? Like, nothing at all. And Salim's fight right before the UFC, right before the Worley fight, I saw some dude with less than eight fights take him down easily with a single leg. And the only reason that Salim got up was because the ref got them up. Not because Salim had some amazing get-up or this or that. Look, I actually think Mickey's going to come out here and win this fight against Salim Tuari. And then we can make talks about fading him next time he fights someone legit. I'm going Mickey Gall for the upset. I, I bet you guys thought you'd never hear me say that. Yeah, make some good points. You know, I look at the fight in two different aspects. I look at it from the betting aspect and then, you know, the, the real fight aspect. The real fight aspect is Salim didn't do anything in his fights against uh, Worley Alves and uh, Nakamura. He got dropped against Nakamura in that second round. The way I look at it is, you know, generally when you got guys at, back to the betting side of things, when you got guys at minus money like Salim that, you know, struggle to pull the trigger, struggle, like you said, to fight with passion, to fight with spirit, you know, generally it's a trap. It's a trap you know but uh some of these things can be 50 50 uh you know mickey gall is a complete joke and <laughs> i mean the guy has no business being in the ufc like i've said time in and time out before and and there's definitely a case where you got the real pro fighter versus the guy that look his development process has been completely fucked up because he's fought uh diego sanchez and and Randy Brown and Sage Northcutt and these guys. But when you look at the damage he took in his last fight, I mean, he got smashed on and smashed on pretty badly. And he's yet to show me that he can, uh, you know, differentiate from a Naga match in a UFC <laughs> in a UFC in a UFC fight. The only issue I have with Salim Tuari is that he doesn't throw. You know, um, I think he has the necessary takedown defense to to stuff Mickey's takedowns, unless he you know gets hurt with a punch or something like that. But you know, uh, Mickey Gall has dropped guys before. He does have decent power in his right hand. It's a very interesting fight. Like I said, minus money, Salim Tuari is just not the guy. Mickey Gall, like I said, doesn't belong here. He didn't earn his way here. And sometimes those things, you know, the truth comes out every single time, man. So Salim Tuari, I wouldn't trust him at, uh, at minus money. But I have to think he's a better overall fighter. Yeah, he didn't do anything. But at least skill-wise, I know that he can maneuver enough against guys like Worley Alves and Keitara Nakamura enough to not get finished, you know? So although I don't think the calibers of fighter between these two are a big gap in between, but I know that if you put Mickey Gall in there with both of those guys, it's going to get really ugly, man. You'll get submitted by Nakamura quickly, and Worley Alves will probably dangle off his neck, but you do make good points that Mickey, at least he's not afraid to fight. But maybe Salim won't feel that much a threat this fight. There's definitely a possibility of that as well. So I got to go with Salim. I'm going to say by a close decision, I think Mickey, you know, he just uh, hasn't shown me that for 15 minutes he can maneuver in the clinch, on the mat. Generally, when things when shit hits the fan, he tends to flop to his back and start looking for subs. Hey, that might work here, but I'll go with Salim by by close decision. Next up in the light heavyweight division, we got Darko Stosic. He's 13-2, and two, and Kennedy and Zechuku is 6-1. and one. Currently, they got Darko Stosic minus 130. The comeback on Kennedy and Zechuku is plus 110. Well, Shaq, both these guys are coming off their first UFC losses. 
They both need to get back on track desperately. I mean, I know these guys have aspirations to be up there in that top 15 at light heavyweight. I mean, it's such a shallow division. Who do you think takes the first step uh, towards that? Darko and Kennedy is going to be a really good fight. You know, before Kennedy's last fight, man, I thought he had an easy, uh, a easy contest in his hands with Paul Craig. You know, Paul Craig is a very low-level UFC fighter, you know, a, a fluke submission guy. And Kennedy, you know, he he, stu he stuffed the takedowns. It's just he didn't have enough grappling skill <laughs> to, to, to get out of the spots where, you know, if he did even have a little bit of grappling, he would have probably smashed Paul, Paul Craig's head. But it just seems like when you watch this kid's two, three fights, it seems like there's definitely an issue of him pulling the trigger. And when he does pull the trigger, it's generally these, these you know, short little jabs, these straight lefts that he's not fully committing on. But one thing he has going for him is he's 6'5", he's tall, and he's African, you know? So if he, ever, if he ever does figure out what his fucking problem is, then, you know, he's a very dangerous guy. But it's all mental with that guy. And it's been something that they've been seeing in every fight. You know, that's why they didn't sign him. After his first contender series fight, he had to go back to the local scene. Paul Felder's been saying it in every one of his kids' fights, like, man, I want this kid to let his hands go, you know what I'm saying? And Safe's in the middle of his fights, let your hands go, Kennedy! But he's only got seven fights, and, you know, this is a product of him really not being ready for this. This is a product of him probably needing to stay out on that local scene for a few fights, and they tried to groove him in there the best way they could. I mean, they gave him Paul Craig, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> like, I don't know how how much easier it can get. I mean, it can get much easier than that at 205. I mean, shit, Mamooch, uh, fucking Alvi, <laughs> you know, it, it can't get much easier than that. Ed Herman, you know, so now they're giving him Darko Stasic, and I just think it's a bad move in terms of, like, if I was Kennedy's manager, this is not a fight I'd take. If I, like, Kennedy's a very talented kid, young guy, but he needs baby steps right now. He's, you know, like I said, he's got seven fights. He's got all the athletic tools, so I know they're putting him in the spot, but when you look at Darko Stasic, he's a very low-volume, muscle-head European, but the guy brings an intense level that Kennedy, a guy like Kennedy's not going to like. I mean, Paul Craig, let's just be honest here, was punking him out that entire fight. He was walking him down. When I got a 6'5 African guy on my hands, I'm expecting him to floor Paul Craig on the very first punch, you know what I'm saying? And he just wasn't pulling the trigger. So unless the kid mentally gets his shit together... I don't think, but personally, I think it's more than that. You know, I think that he's not, you know, he comes from that camp, so we all want him. He comes from that Fortis MMA camp, so we all want him to be Razak. We all want him to be Jeff Neal and Span and, and Minifield and these guys and, and Chazon. But look, not every camp, you know, not all the guys are good. There's always one guy where, you know, he just can't seem to... You seem to can't get in. I think Kennedy's that guy. He's closer to Ocho Peterson than he <laughs> yeah. is to Jeff Neal. It's unfortunate, you know. Um, we all want him to be these guys. We can't make Kennedy be what we want him to be, you know. He's got to do it for himself. So I see all the talent there. The kid just doesn't let his hands go. And one thing I have to say is his grappling level is very low in comparison to Darko Stasek. When you watch Darko Stasek's fight with Devin Clark, I mean, those guys were hitting each other with hard shots for three rounds. They were sprawling, they were wrestling, they were clinching at a very high pace for two very muscular, you know, muscle-head guys. And, I mean, that was a very high-level fight in comparison to anything Kennedy and Juku, uh has ever been in. So I got a favorite Darko Stasek from a betting perspective. is a little interesting because, like I said, if Kennedy can get his shit together, if they can instill some type of confidence in this kid, if they can instill some type of will to, you know, move forward and, and you know, use this uh, 
you know, use these jabs and these long strikes to, to make Darko Stasic wear himself out, then he can win this fight. So I am acknowledging that Kennedy has the skills to win this fight. It's just that I, th I don't think he's ready. I think Darko Stasic, if he fights smart, Darko, they're both the same age. Let's not forget that Darko Stasic is also, he's only got two UFC fights. He's also getting better himself. He's the same age as Kennedy. He's already tougher than Kennedy. He's already got better grappling than Kennedy. He's got more power than Kennedy. <laughs> he's got more experience than Kennedy. He's fought real heavyweights, <laughs> unlike Kennedy. So I have to favor Darko Stasic to win this fight. I do think Kennedy has the skills to win, but my pick is Darko by uh, second round knockout. I mean, Shaq put it really well. You know, if if this was a video game, I had the controller to control oh, Ken oh, fuck, <laughs> to control uh, Kennedy and Zechuku. I mean, you're telling me I have a six foot five Nigerian with an eighty three inch reach. Uh, we're gonna kill this guy in the first thirty seconds, but unfortunately, that's not the case. And man. It's one of those things where, yeah, he's green, yeah, he needs seasoning, but f fuck all that stuff, man. Let's talk about the real issue here, the mental, because the guy does not throw hard on the feet for someone his size. And, you know, when you got Paul Craig in front of you, and this is supposed to be the easiest fight of your life, and you're supposed to go out there and showcase, you know, start to campaign for that UFC Africa card, and then Paul Craig's going out there almost finishing you in the first, he does finish you in the third round. And props to Paul Craig on a beautiful setup. You know, he started to get him with uh, with that scissor sweep. And then as soon as uh, my boy uh, Kennedy turned back into his guard, boom, triangle setup, game set and match. What what a setup by Paul Craig on that. But the fact that Kennedy's giving him all those opportunities, he's playing in his guard when his corner screaming at him, up, Kennedy, up, Kennedy. Let your hands go, Kennedy. <laughs> you know, my boy, Safe Saoud's going to have an aneurysm in Kennedy's <laughs> corner. You know what I'm saying? So sh shout out to Safe Saoud. Love that guy. One of the coaches of the year. I say one of them because you got to give credit to my boy. Uh, Eric Albertine. That's right. You know, shout out to him. So, But look, as far as his matchup, what was interesting to me was that they didn't give Kennedy, you know, kind of a softball. You know, they didn't give him. I mean, the thing is they gave him a softball in his that debut. That was a softball. That, like, it's like, guys, like, how, <laughs> how much lower can we go? Are, are, you, are you thinking Alvi? Are you thinking Volante? Like, what are you guys Herman thinking? You know Cummings, what I'm like Pat Cummins. Like, <laughs> But now it's like with Darko, he's got twice as many wins as Kennedy. And yeah, you know, that number this, number that. The reason I bring it up is because Kennedy is so young in his career that twice the experience means a lot. And while Darko does have very low output, I think this is a spot where he can let his hands go. And even the times when he let them go against Clark, it was like, oh, shit. Like, Devastating. Like, Clark is lucky he maneuvered his way out the, out, out the way. and. And not to mention, not just the not just the power. What about the toughness? Because I know y'all remember. If you don't watch that come, second round, come, come. <laughs> that second round when uh, Devin Clark started landing some hard shots, and then uh, what do you think Kennedy Injikawuko is gonna do when Darko says, "Come, come," he's gonna shoot him. <laughs> Devin Clark starts landing some hard shots, and then uh, Darko's like, "Oh yeah," he puts his hands up. He's like, "Come, come." <laughs> so, and then I heard this interview with Kennedy, and he's like, "Look, my problem was these are Kennedy's words." and not mine guys Kennedy said I was scared in my debut and I know the jitters this and that but dude you were fighting Paul Craig you weren't fighting Jim Crute you weren't fighting Johnny Walker you weren't fighting McCall Zaychuk you were fighting fucking Paul Craig what are you scared of there's the only thing to be scared of is if you go to the mat with the guy you were standing with him for like goddamn 13-14 minutes of that fight so I just don't see what the deal is Kennedy said look I need to add some more viciousness to my game look that's easier said than done I agree you do need to add more viciousness to, to your game but when the 
lights are bright, when it, when the ref says go, when you got Darko and he's like, come, come, right in front of your face, throwing those big bombs, I think it's going to be a little tougher to get vicious like he wants to, man. So even though I think Kennedy's got a higher ceiling if he ever gets his shit together, at this point in time, I think the more developed fighter is Darko Stosic, and I'm picking him to win this fight as well. Now, next up in the lightweight division, we got Scott Holtzman, Scotty, he's 12-3, and three, and Dong Young Maestro Ma is 16-9. and nine. Currently, they got Scott Holtzman minus 450. The comeback on Dong Young Ma is plus 360. Well, Shaq, I know everyone remembers that unbelievable fight that Maestro Dong Young Ma had with Paulo Reyes at UFC 199. One of the fights of the years. He's been in the UFC ever since. And with Scott Holtzman, talk about a guy who's really been putting it together lately. Both these guys are coming off. Else, who gets back on track? Yeah, I'm going to be quick with this one as well. You know, I feel like Banyan Ma is on his way out. You know, he had the fight with Polo Reyes that we all love. But like I said about Polo Reyes the last two times he fight, if you really, really look in, in, the, real scheme of the, in the real scheme of things, that fight was very low level. It was a, it was a mad Korean versus a... Versus a you know, uh, a steroid meat-eating Mexican. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Uh, it's true. He popped. he popped for eating meat in Mexico. <laughs> so, uh, you know, I feel like it was, a, it was a very sloppy fight. I feel like if both guys were fighting better guys, it would have got knocked out a lot sooner. And, you know, look what uh, Dangan Ma's done since. He got a win over a bum named Brennan O'Reilly. He uh, he beat... Uh, he won a bullshit decision over Damian Brown. He beat Damian Brown, who looked like... Damian's my boy, but... My God, he look—he had a belly in that fight. He just looked completely out of shape. Uh, and it was just not a UFC caliber fight. And one thing I got to say is, man, this guy's Dung Young Ma's leg, man, is prone to calf kicks in a way that it's not, I don't see it ending too well uh, for him, you know. Uh, You're not going to mention my boy uh, Gomi? Uh, yeah, he knocked out Gomi, big fucking <laughs> uh, The former pride champion? <laughs> yeah, I mean, anyone can be a pride champion. You're fighting guys with shoes on and shit. You're talking about when the ref has an earpiece <laughs> you mean in? mean when Fade, all those dudes Fedor beat? <laughs> <laughs> uh, but anyways, uh, so yeah, I think that uh, Dung on Kim's best days are behind him. He had a nice little streak there, but I think his leg really is really messed up. And then when you saw him fight Devontae Smith, I mean, Smith hit him with a couple calf kicks. He couldn't playing on that leg the leg swelled up very fast to a point where like it was only took maybe like two or three calf kicks and that thing was already swollen up and guess who throws calf kicks scott holtzman i mean look at his fight with alan patrick that was all i needed to see right there and that was against a southpaw who was 15 and one who only lost to tyson mom so i feel like this is a tailor-made fight for hot sauce i think that he's gonna come out here you know use those calf kicks uh to kind of just immobilize uh dung on mine eventually get a knockout and you know uh bounce back after that tough loss against Nick Lentz. You know, Nick Lentz is a Division One wrestler. He held on to Scotty. He had good mat returns. Nick Lentz has like 20-something UFC <laughs> fights. Nick Lentz is 13-6. and six, So, you know, uh, Nick Lentz is going to absolutely batter that co-kid BJ Penn. <laughs> so, uh, I got uh, Scott Holtzman by first round knockout. Oh, man. You know Nick Lentz is going to head kick knockout BJ yeah, Penn? going to get ugly. <laughs> you know that fight shouldn't even be sanctioned? <laughs> You know, I got a better chance against Nick Lentz. BJ couldn't even even beat the guy in the bathroom at the strip club that gives you mints and cigarettes. (laughs) (laughs) And that's just facts. He had to uh, resort to late and pray. The bottom line here is that this is the first time Scott's going to have his baby in the crowd watching him fight. And they needed an opponent for him to come out here and get a highlight real finish, you know? The last one against uh, Nick Lentz might have been 
too much too soon, even though Scotty is 35 years old. But look, he's coming from a different sport. He's a former hockey player, guys. Like he's still evolving into MMA. But I'll tell you what, he's he's been making that transition very well. Because you watch that fight against Chris Tadulu against Chris Tadulu in the debut, then you watch his last fight against Nick Lentz. It's a completely different guy. He's he really has evolved and. Bottom line here is that, like Shaq said, Dong Young Ma has a massive weakness to the low kicks. Uh, you saw it in the Damian Brown fight. That's where it all started. Uh, Damian Brown was dropping him with calf kicks. No idea how they scored that fight for Kim. I mean, then again, those Aussie judges, those Australian judges are something else. They couldn't give Damian Brown a hometown decision that night on a fight that close. It was really ridiculous. But at least Damian laid the blueprint. Hey, go out there and kick this guy. He doesn't have an answer for it. His leg starts to swell up. So Devontae Smith was like, you know what? I'm going to try that myself. He goes out there very patiently. Two big calf Two big calf kicks off the rip, off the jump, immobilized him. And then Dong Yong Ma wanted to get cute. He wanted to throw a kick of his own. As soon as he did that, Devontae checked it. Then then uh, Dong Yong Ma is limping. Then Devontae lands the 1-2 game set and match. Look, what I think is going to happen is that Scotty's going to come out here, chop him down with the low kicks, and eventually when it's time to go upstairs, he will go upstairs. It's going to be a highlight reel knockout. I got Scott Holtzman here for the win. Now, next up in the middleweight division, we got Gerald GM3 Mershart. He's 29 and 11, and Officer Trevin Giles is 11 and 1. <laughs> Currently, uh, someone cooking bacon outside? <laughs> Currently, they got Trevin Giles minus 170. The comeback on Gerald Mershart is plus 150. Well, uh, while Trevin Giles isn't checking tags and asking for ID, <laughs> He is in the gym training. Uh, you think he gets back on track here against GM3? Trevin, I'm innocent. But yeah. Wait, Trevin's coming to the barbecue? Y'all better leave now. <laughs> but no, nah, man, this is going to be a really good fight. Uh, GM3, uh, his last fight was against Kevin Holland, a very close fight back and forth with the with the sub attempts. It was uh, pretty entertaining. And Giles' last fight, look, it was first sell time. He's a very young kid, 26 years old. He fought a, a, a grizzly vet like Cummings. And look, Cummings has handled a lot of guys that I remember when he handled my boy uh, Nick Dalby his first sell back in the day. Huh? Cummings is that type of guy, so no shame in that, though. At least from my perspective, uh, he got choked, dropped, and then choked out. But, you know, I thought he was fighting a fairly good fight up until that point. That second round, it looked like he was getting his range with his with his jab in his right hand. And But, you know, the vet that Cummings is, he was a... Uh, he was able to capitalize. Now, Cummings, I feel like, is still, you know, steady Eddie or even getting a little better. You know, Mershard, on the other hand, I feel like he's going down. You know, I feel like Mershard is a guy that, you know, before the UFC, when you really look at his style, he's one of these guys where, you know, uh, like my boy Duke Rufus said, he tells him to work his magic. You know, this guy's a what I like to call a low percentage fighter. He's going for a lot of sub attempts. He's going for a lot of subs where before he even has position and then he loses position on, on the striking end. He'll come out very aggressive early, but... When he hits that exhausted state, and he hits an exhausted state a lot, he turns into a complete punching bag. So I understand why Trevin Giles is definitely favored, but Trevin Giles is definitely very green, man. He's very young, but I like how he's taking these fights back-to-back. -back. He needs more experience. He was out for a long time before his last fight, so I think he's making the right move by taking another fight very soon, and I think he's the more athletic guy here. thing with Trevin Giles is Mershard's got a, got a jiu-jitsu advantage early, and early if he gets on a Giles' neck, it could be trouble, but I think that Kevin Holland can give people the wrong illusion of how this fight's going to go. You know, I feel like Kevin Holland is a guy that he's very talented, but some guys fight completely differently. I feel like Giles isn't going to put himself in those positions like Kevin did. You know, Kevin uh, was just willing because Kevin's a jiu-jitsu guy as well, man. He likes to, he wanted to prove a point and 
I'll tell you what, Kevin was playing around to an extent where it was almost, he's like a hundred times better than Mershart. And he just, and he, that's what he does every fight. He did it against Alessio as well. And he was just playing around in there. And anytime he really wanted to turn up, he did. And, you know, he was able to, to steal those rounds from Mershart. I think Giles is going to come in with the complete anti-game plan, as in run away from this guy anytime he wants to clinch, anytime he wants to grapple, make him stand on the feet. I think he's going to wear Mershart out or Mershart's going to wear himself out and then turn into a punching bag and I think Giles is just gonna land jabs straight rights possibly get a knockout but I think Giles wins this fight I think he's younger and like I said I think Mershart's turning down there's two big gaps in this fight there's the athleticism gap which that edge definitely goes to Trevin Giles to, to Officer Giles and then there's the experience edge, which goes to Gerald Mershart all day, baby. I mean, he's got almost three times the experience of, of Trevin Giles. So basically, when this fight starts, uh, you know, Trevin kind of low-key has a little bit of a karate style, the way the way he bounces back and forth and just tries to snipe that straight right. And he's a very, very athletic guy. He's very fast. And when you're going up against these unathletic guys, which Gerald Mershart really is to an, to an extent, I think Trevin can come out here. And, you know, style on him for a little bit. The only thing is, we talk about Mershart's fatigue state, and that's very true, especially in these Scramble Fest-type fights. But we saw in Trevin Giles' last fight that uh, he ain't no spring chicken in that third round either, especially if a vet's in there pressuring him. One big opening I've noticed in a bunch of Trevin Giles' uh, fights are, is that left body kick. He's open to that. You know Gerald Mershart's got a very hard one. He, does, he doesn't just fire it in all of his fights. I've actually seen him put people down with that body kick before. Not saying he's going to do that to Trevin, but I definitely know he's going to go in there and throw him. I know he's got weapons in this fight, but bottom line is I think Trevin's going to win the first eight minutes of the fight, and then somewhere along the way when they get in some kind of scramble, I see Gerald Mershart snatching that neck, whether it's a Darce, a guillotine, maybe even taking the back to a rear naked choke, an anaconda, whatever it takes. I'm going GM3 via submission here. Next up in the lightweight division, we got Joachim Neto BJJ Silva. He's 11-1, and and Nazrat Hakparest is 10-2. and Currently, they got Nazrat Hakparis, minus 260. The comeback on Joachim Neto BJJ Silva is plus 220. Well, Shaq, I have a feeling these two are going to stand and bang until one man falls. I was kind of surprised they made Nazrat such a big favorite. I mean, I remember when he got laid and preyed on by Marcin Hill, but we know Joachim Silva, a lot of people thought that he was on his way to losing that fight against Jared Gordon. I disagree. I thought he almost finished him at the end of the first, at the end of the second, and then actually knocked him out in the third but hey this is a different matchup we know nazrat's got a big speed advantage how do you see this fight going want me to go first right, i'm gonna go first look this is a hell of a fight right here if you're not a fan of Joachim neto bjj silva i don't know what you are man because anytime this guy fights uh super super exciting we saw him on that season of the ultimate fighter with glaco franza with uh, my boy nicholas mata who got knocked out by my boy robert hale shout out to king hale but look he came from a good season of the ultimate fighter and what i like about this kid Joachim silva obviously his nickname neto bjj but we always used to make the joke you know back when he was fighting andrew holbrook uh we used to call him neto muay thai because the dude loves to stand and bang and you know he went out there against andrew holbrook knocked him out right away you know i kind of felt like that fight against vince pachel 
you know, a lot of people criticize Neto for it. Some criticize Vince for it. I kind of view that as a, you know, when we talk about respect, uh, you know, when we when we speak in our Brazilian accents, you know, respect. That was a respect fest, you know. Both guys throw with so much power that no one really wanted to overcommit and uh, potentially get caught. What's interesting about this fight is that Nazarat, you know, they call him Mini Kelvin. Hey, I see it based on the looks, but not not based on the fighting style, even though they're both southpaws. But look, Nazarat likes to go forward, and if Nazarat's able to pressure you like he did, did to Casey, he can totally shut some guys down and tee off on them in a way where it looks like, oh man, this kid's a phenom, this kid's this, this kid's that. But if you answer back to Nazareth, not not saying that he's going to back down, but that speed definitely can slow down a little bit. So there is that chance he comes out here and overwhelms Joaquim with his speed, no doubt about it, because he is the faster man. You throw some winging shots from, from weird angles. I think the kid's got a lot of potential, but he's still super young. And I, I don't really think he's just going to come out here and just walk over a guy like Joaquim Silva just like that. Joaquim is not a guy that just gets walked over by anyone. If uh, if Nazareth does that, much respect, I'll tip my cap. But I think that Joaquim is a guy who's willing to stand in the pocket and slug with anyone. And at some point in this fight, I do think he's going to connect with something big that's going to kind of level out the speed advantage that Nazareth has. And from there, it's going to become a very fun, entertaining fight. So my question here is, is Nazrak going to be able to get off on enough shots before Joachim lands that big one that slows him down? If uh, Nazrak can do that, he's going to come out here and win. But the thing is, eventually, somewhere in these 15 minutes, Joachim is going to be able to slow the pace down of this fight and make it one of his wars. And from there, I'm not sure Nazrak can survive in that kind of war. I mean, I've seen Nazrak go out there and drop guys, and two seconds later, he's on his back and can't get back up. I think if Joachim Silva takes his back or full mounts him, it could be over shortly after. Joachim might have much better jujitsu, or not might, he does have much better jujitsu than Nazareth. I know Nazareth ain't no black belt, so uh, it's a close fight. I mean, you know, I see why Nazareth's the favorite, but when, but when the line's this wide, uh, and, and I know the history of Joachim Silva in these kind of fights, man, there's a chance that Nazareth might not be ready at this point, even with the speed advantage. Shit, man, I'm going to go with Joachim to knock out Nazrat Hakpares in the third round, but he's going to have to overcome some serious shit in this fight. And there's a chance that he might not even get the chance to do that, but I do think that when it's his turn to land, that's going to change the tide of the fight. I'm going to go with the underdog here. Yeah, you know, this is going to be a really good fight, Joachim. We know what he brings to the table. This guy ain't, as, ain't scared to get knocked out. And Hakpares, in his uh, three UFC fights, he's 2-1. and one. You know, the first fight against held short notice, so, you know, we'll excuse him for that but these last two fights against the Casey and uh, T. Balgadi, I mean, Nasrat put it on them badly. Uh, for 23 years old, this guy, man, is very good for 23 years. 23 years old, has a very bright future. He's very talented, trains at a very good camp, very good left hand. What I see in Nasrat's game is I see he's a, I think he's a good puncher that likes the, that can overwhelm guys. But unfortunately, he's in there with uh, Joachim Silva now. You know, I feel like Mark DeCasey, you know, why Nasrat's probably a high favorite is because his win over Mark DeCasey. DeCasey has a very high name value, at least way more name value than uh, Joachim Silva. You know, I feel like more people know who DeCasey is. Hey, the guy with the, nude on a magazine. The guy with the red, <laughs> the guy with the red mohawk. Yeah, I know that guy oh Nasrat beat him <laughs> you know Nasrat's really good so yeah I feel like uh you know the difference in that fight in comparison to another BJJ is just intensity firstly the Casey can't box firstly the Casey's legs are weak and Nasrat was able to capitalize on that right away and the Casey just didn't have the boxing prowess to stand toe-to-toe with him in the pocket he didn't have the firepower to stand toe-to-toe with him in the pocket or the cardio and I feel like Neto BJJ for a Brazilian checks off on all those boxes I mean cardio is not an issue for this guy and you know uh when you 
you look at his UFC career, we're talking about he fought Razor Madaddy in Sweden. Razor Madaddy's a guy with wins over Michael Johnson. Johnson. He finished Michael Johnson, but it was in Sweden. The, the, just the environment was super crazy. They had a big stare down. And one thing about Neto BJJ is for a Brazilian, there is no breaks with this guy. There is no standing out in space and catching your breath and, you know, and got, and he puts pressure on guys to the point where it's not like hard, hard, hard pressure, just slow, methodical. But the thing why it's so effective is because guys always end up trying to shoot on Neto BJJ. They use that energy because he's going to pop back up at some point. And I mean, like you said, this guy's jujitsu. I think it's better than Hack Parasas. And what I was getting back to his pressure is the type of firepower that this guy has, man. You stay in that pocket one uh, <laughs> second too long, and you might be, uh, you know, they might have those smelling salts up your nose trying to tell you to wake up. But the thing is, you know, his loss against Vince Pachel in comparison to guys like how he's about to fight like Hack Perez. Vince Pachel, I consider him a very underrated guy, a guy with vet savvy, a guy that when he gets hit with a shot, you know, he's been in experiences and wars in the past where, you know, he can think and he can still keep moving. Like Vince is 35, 36 years old. We just saw Vince break their uh, their number one boy, Roosevelt, the other week. You know what I'm saying? Now, Nashrat Hack Perez, on the other hand, is 23 years old. We saw in his fight with T. Balgadi that this guy can be pushed back and he only has success when he is pushing guys back. He will not push Neto BJJ back for three rounds. Neto will push him back at some point and when Neto starts moving forward, you don't know what's going to come. I mean, we're talking good combos in the pocket. We're talking the jump knees. We're talking the high kicks. I mean, Neto gets his job done for the most part. The fight that he lost to Vince Pichel, I thought it was super close. I just watched it. I feel, I still feel like it could have went either way. It was uh, when both guys were coming off vicious KOs like they both were. You know what I'm saying, Guys were a little bit, uh, a little gun shy, but I don't think that's going to be the case here. You know, I feel like Nasrat's a very good prospect by future, and if he can stay composed and uh, circle around the fence and, and outmaneuver Neto BJJ for three rounds, props to him, but I just don't think he's ready for that level yet. I feel like people sleep on Neto. I feel like he's a very underrated guy. I feel like Nasrat's probably going to use a lot of energy trying to take Neto down. When he gets back up to the feet, he's not going to be able to run for too long, and I feel like he's never, ever, ever been hit with shots with the way he's about to get hit with shots on Saturday night. And I got to go with Neto BJJ by first round knockout. You know, I feel like the fight's probably going to be done quick because I feel like in this particular fight, Nashrat knows what he's going up against. I, I feel like a young guy is probably going to try to try to use a little bit of energy to try to knock Neto out early. And I don't think he will. I mean, Neto's a... <laughs> the guy's a Brazilian paratrooper, man. I think he slept on a lot. I got to go with Neto BJJ for the upset. Co-main event of the evening in the lightweight division. We got Clay the Carpenter Guida. He's third. 35 and 18 and Jim Miller is 30 and 13 well you got two legends of the lightweight division scrapping in the co-main event obviously Jim Miller is from New Jersey I've been hearing Jim Miller saying this is actually his retirement fight here at home you think he goes out on a win Man, that would be that would be the smart thing to do. Um, Jim Miller and Clay Guida are both around the same level, but I just got to say, Jim Miller's probably been fighting with. Uh, I can't really say that though, because Jim Jim's been having easy. I mean, Jason Gonzalez is a complete bum. Alex, Alex White <laughs> and Alex White is a co complete bum as well. But the thing is, Clay Guida's out here losing rounds to BJ Penn in two thousand. Uh, 2019 so you know what i'm saying this is a, this is a i don't want to say a 50 50 fight but 
You know, I feel like Jim's always been better than Clay, probably talent-wise throughout their whole careers. Clay's probably been a slightly a little tougher, maybe uh, probably slightly willing to dig a little deeper. But you know, I gotta go with Jim. You know, but from a betting perspective, I'm gonna just sit back and watch the two old men fight because look, both these guys are at a stage where one one shot, you know. You might, you don't know what's going to happen. Look, I don't put no stock in it being Gonzalez or, you know, I put a little stock in Alex White. I mean, he ran through him, so, you know. Uh, but I go with Jim. I feel like he's just always been better than Clay, faster on the outside. But if he wants to get into a wrestling game with Clay, I feel like it might it might be trouble. You know, Jim, Jim will flop to that back going for guillotine, so be careful. But I'll go with Jim. On one hand, it would be really cool to see Jim Miller go out there, retire on a win in New Jersey, but... When I really think about this matchup, not just now, you know, the two of them are old men, but even back in their primes, the thing that keeps popping up in my head is that if Jim Miller doesn't get a first round finish, he's going to get out hustled here. Even if Clay Guida's running away, you know, doing that stupid shit with his hair, making everyone boo, he's got a way of winning these decisions. And I know people are out here saying shit like, well, Jim Miller's last few fights, he only lost to Anthony Pettis and this and that. Hey guys, Clay Guida 30-27 Anthony Pettis. Now, I know that was a long ass time ago. I think Clay Guida's got a way better resume than Jim Miller. And I love Jim Miller, but look, Clay Guida beat Nate Diaz. Has RDA, Anthony Pettis, all these guys. So, man, I just think that if uh, Clay Guida doesn't get guillotine in the he first round, the, the developing bum versions of Nate Diaz and RDA. But yeah, there are wins on his resume. Sure. Who's Jim B? <laughs> you, you feel me? Who's Jim B? Uh, fucking Charles Oliveira. Um, who else? See, the guys I mentioned are either champs or number one contenders. You know what I'm saying? Formers. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, he'd be. Clay, look, Clay Guida fucking finished RDA, <laughs> beat Anthony Pettis, beat all these guys. Look, who he beat, this and that doesn't really matter. I'm just, talk, I'm just, I'm just talking a little shit because everyone's on Jim Miller in this spot. And I, and I think Jim Miller has a good chance to get a first-round sub, but historically speaking, he does have a cardio issue when, when fights go past the first, even though Clay Guida did look a certain way against BJ Penn. Historically speaking, everyone's always praised him for his cardio. Uh, so, shit, I, I'm going to just be on the opposite side here. I'm going to take the underdog, Clay Guida. But I'm, I'm rooting for Jim Miller just because I've been a bigger fan of his uh, you know, throughout both their careers. But my pick is Clay Guida for the upset. Main event of the evening in the welterweight division, we got the interim champ, Colby Covington. He's 14-1. and one, And the former champ, Robbie Lawler, is 28-13. and 13. Currently, they got Colby Covington minus 235. The comeback on Robbie Lawler is plus 195. Well, Shaq, obviously, you got one of the best wrestlers in the history of the welterweight division and Colby Covington versus one of the best knockout artists in the history of the sport in Robbie Lawler. I mean, this fight's pretty much going to go one of two ways. Who do you think imposes their will here in Saturday night's main event? Yeah, it's going to be a really good fight. When you look at uh, Robbie Lawler's last fight against Ben Askren, I mean, he was smashing up on Ben. Fight could have been stopped. I mean, he was smashing on Ben pretty bad. He slammed him. Uh, but, you know, Ben's not very strong. In t I mean, when you know what I mean in terms of, like, uh, he's strong in terms of, like, when he gets on top of you. But in terms of, like, out in the open, like, his presence, I mean, he looks like a fucking... But basically, <laughs> if they wrestle together, Ben wins. If they w if they lift weights together, <laughs> Robbie weights wins. Together. <laughs> Robbie's going to push him on the head. You know what I'm saying? But, uh... 
But, uh, you know, he uh, smashed up on Ben. But it looked like, you know, when they got back up to the feet that, you know, Robbie was definitely, you know, evidently a little tired. Uh, ben pushed him in the fence. Robbie hit him with some more shots. He ate him. Uh, and Ben was able to get him down to that mat in that grappling situation. And, uh, you know, Herb stopped the fight. Now, whether he tapped or not, he put himself in a spot where Herb thought he went to sleep. Just like we saw with Will Brooks and Glayson Tebow, like we saw with uh, Skelly and Moffitt or... Uh, Jason Hine, Escudero, Kiesa Lee. When it looks like you go to sleep for that one second, don't be shocked when the ref stops the fight. And, you know, that's exactly what happened. So it's unfortunate, of course. We truly never know what will happen uh, if those guys fight. But, you know, Robbie put himself, I, I truly believe that he slowed down after that. But, you know, Robbie, to, man, look, Robbie's an interesting case because we know what type of power he possesses, at least, you know, in a short-term period. I mean, first round, I mean, if he hits you clean, you might go down. I mean, he's ruthless Robbie Lawler. He's got some of the most vicious KOs. And, and you know, uh, these last few fights has been really tough, man. Robbie might be due for, <laughs> for some type of win because, I mean, when you look at his last few fights, the RDA fight, I mean, he tore his ACL <laughs> in the in the second round and he got completely worked on it and you know ever since he came back from his title fight against Cerrone even the Cerrone fight I thought Cerrone won to be honest but you know those fights when you think about it the Hendricks fights the Rory fight the Condit fight he took a lot of damage in those fights I mean to the point where his face was drooping over you know chunks I mean he lost chunks of his face in that octagon with those wars and that's why we love Robbie Lawler that's why he'll be he's an all-time great and in my opinion he should be in the hall of fame it's fucking Robbie Lawler the guy's one of the most stand-up guys he don't talk no shit he he just kind of comes about his business man so I got the utmost respect for Lawler but I do feel like father time is catching up with him I feel like he's got a puncher's chance in every fight of course but when you look at Kobe Covington. Kobe Covington is one of these guys, you know, I don't want to compare him to Usman or anything like that, but he's one of these guys for the bulk of his entire career. When Whenever Kobe Covington has a fight, I pretty much have the same breakdown. If Kobe doesn't get knocked out, he's probably going to win. You know what I'm saying? The guy has a work rate that, you know, at welterweight is, is up there with the Usman-level work rate. I mean, the guy's going to get on the... We know what he's going to do. He's going to hold his legs. He's going to hug his legs. He's going to mat return him over and over. He's going to sniff his crotch. He's going to sniff his crotch. His head's going to be in his nuts the entire time. And, you know, look, and it, it, it just is what it is now. Robbie's got a puncher's chance, 100%, but Covington, man, he gets guys in this gas state to his state, you know, he wants a slow, ugly pace fight so he can just keep peppering his shots and doing the same shit, tie up, mat return, over, over again, just the same ending cycle, and he's, uh, in the past, I've told you, he kind of reminds me of, uh, prime Chell Sonnen, you know what I'm saying, uh, back when Chell was in his prime fucking making guys quit on that mat, you know what I'm saying? Chell versus Yushin. Yeah, you know what I'm saying, Kobe's prime Chell Sonnen, in my opinion, you know, so, that actually touched the bell. So prime, he's a prime Chell son. We know what he's gonna bring to the table. So look, I think Robbie's got a puncher's chance, one hundred percent. And if Kobe gets tired, but the thing is, Kobe doesn't get tired, even when it looks like he's dead tired. And and you know, another thing is, Kobe Covington gives people the persona that you know he's not focused. That uh, you know he's he's running around here with these three chicks and, uh, and you know and all the shit and all the shit that he does you know he gives people the illusion that he's not focused but I've heard in the past from George Masvidal himself that Kobe is one of the most like he'll let you think that you know he's doing all this shit but I hear the guys in bed at eight o'clock every night that he eats clean the entire year round I mean and and you can see by the way the guy maintains his cardio I mean you know the Dos Anjos victory was a uh, 
very impressive. The Maya fight was very impressive. I know Maya touched him up with some shots, but we know what we know Covington can box. We just want him to hug your legs, and he should be fine. So I gotta go with Covington. I think that he's gonna have Robbie on that fence for most of the entire time. I think Robbie's probably gonna do a good job stuffing the takedowns, but I just think Covington's gonna be glued on. You know what I'm saying? The guy hugging on, and I feel like uh, eventually, about somewhere in that third, fourth third fourth round maybe that third round that you're gonna see Robbie's body not fail him but just Robbie's gonna get a little fed up with it you know he doesn't like when guys don't want to fight and hug his legs you know he might be looking off in his corner like you know <laughs> you know this guy won't stop hugging me but look it's the fight game so I gotta go with Covington but from a betting perspective I wouldn't play Covington at a line like that he's coming off a big layoff like I said I mean he could be unfocused but you know, I, I don't think he is, but I, I think uh, Covington gets this job. All I got to say is Colby Covington's one of the hardest workers in this division. You know, the whole, you know, stripper gimmick, the whole Donald Trump, thing, that's all for show. That's to piss it's people fake, off. That's to. <laughs> it's not real. You know, that's just to get you guys invested in his I mean, fight. Look, he's got Conan Silveria cornering, for, cornering him for this fight. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> A Brazilian's cornering Yeah, like basically, like. <laughs> It's either because he wants you to either want to see him win or want to see him get knocked out. But as long as you care, that's all that matters. It's the fighters where no one gives a fuck what happens to that aren't going to make it. Like if like Corey Anderson, like I know it's fun to see him get knocked out and stuff and this and that. But like if Corey retired today, if Corey retired today, will any of you guys really give a shit? You see what I'm saying? Whereas if Colby uh, retires today, a lot of people are going to be pissed off because they really wanted to see him get knocked out by by all these fighters and stuff like that. Look, the bottom line is he's trying to get his name out there and he's doing a damn good job because he's main eventing uh, this weekend's UFC card on ESPN versus uh, a legend of the sport and Robbie Lawler. So Robbie Lawler is live for a knockout you know, in the first two rounds or so because he's going to come right at Colby Covington. One thing about Robbie Lawler, especially early on in these fights, man, he goes right after you and he tries to take you out. The thing is, if he doesn't take him out, he's going to get humped. He's going to have to take plan B the next day. He's going to have to go uh, hit up CVS because uh, my boy Colby Covington is about to be humping that leg uh, all night long. And not only that, you know, you, you look at a fight between Robbie Lawler and Johnny Hendricks and you say to yourself, well, he's beaten such great wrestlers before. Why can't he do it again? Well, Johnny Hendricks is a great wrestler, but Johnny Hendricks, you know, towards that time of his career, I mean, the guy barely trained. He was relying on his past, uh, you know, accomplishments in wrestling. So that's why when he was, you know, putting his head between uh, Robbie's legs, uh, and remember the famous quote by Joe Silva, you can't win a fight with your head between a man's legs. Well, that's because Johnny Hendricks was literally out there stalling because the guy didn't have the cardio to push. Whereas a guy like Colby, he ain't going to be stalling. He's going to be landing little pitter-patter strikes, going to be mixing in the takedowns. And if that first initial takedown gets stuffed, he's not going to just you know take a 30-second break and run away. He's going to be right back in there for the next shot over and over and over again. This guy can wrestle for the entire 25 minutes. And there's not going to be any stalling tactics by Colby Covington. I really think he's going to put that pressure and that pace on Robbie Lawler. And uh, if he does not get knocked out... He will win this fight uh, pretty decisively too, and I know people are gonna bring up that time that Damian Maya landed a couple a couple punches in a fist fight and bloodied. I mean, guys, I don't think Maya would land a two on Robbie. Like, <laughs> I don't don't disrespect my guy Maya like that, please, by saying that because Maya touched him up, therefore, like guys, that guy stop. 
First of all, not only did did Maya get left in a pool of blood, but let, let me ask you guys this: What was Colby's game plan in that fight? Was it to shoot? Nope. It was to stuff and to keep the fight standing. Well, here against Robbie, it's the total opposite. You think he's gonna try to stuff and keep it standing against Robbie? No, he's gonna try to take down Robbie over and over and grind him. Guys, it's a completely different matchup. That's why I don't understand why you guys are bringing up that Damian Maya fight where my boy Damian was left in a pool of blood. Look, bottom line, I got Colby Covington here via domination. Just don't get knocked out and you win buddy and joining us now on the big marley minute is big marley himself kyle it's going down this saturday you got the former champ versus the former interim champ how's it going kyle not, not too bad, bad man i like the little change of pace we're getting a 12 p.m start on this one we still got 30k up top on DraftKings. solid main event so yeah i'm looking forward to it hoping for a big week it's always nice when you can wake up and cash and i mean usually the case is with a China card, with a Europe card. Now it's in New Jersey. Do you know why they scheduled it so early? No, I'm not sure, but I, I kind of, I'm kind of looking forward to an early one. So I feel like uh, I just need some different, some change on this card. Maybe the time is is what I need. But I feel like I've been getting my ass kicked because two weeks ago was so bad. Last week was only plus one unit, but it felt like a loss. So I, I need a big one. A sweep would be great this week. Well, the good news is that this main event between Colby Covington and Robbie Lawler, you know for a fact, when Colby Covington wins fights, he stacks the takedowns. I know he's a high point scorer in DraftKings. You got Robbie Lawler. When he wins, it's a vicious knockout. I mean, I doubt you're stacking this fight. So which side are you taking? I probably am stacking this fight, but only in my cash games where I'm only trying to beat half the field. Uh, I won't be stacking it in any GPPs. But I will be pretty all in on it. Every lineup I make will have this fight. Uh, I'm picking Colby to get it done. I, I think his wrestling is going to be a little too much for Robbie. Um, and over the course of five rounds, if he wins, there's no doubt in my mind he's going to get over 10x, probably over 100 points. Maybe, maybe I think he has the highest ceiling on the car. So I, I definitely like Colby here. But man, Robbie looked looked vicious in his last fight. And if he comes out here looking like that, he can definitely stop takedowns. If he can keep this standing. Uh, he's very live for a knockout. So if I don't have Covington in the lineup, then Robbie will be on it. Uh, I'm, I'm probably looking at like 60-40, something like that, in favor of Colby. But whoever wins this fight, I think, will be on that 30K lineup. Uh, and that's what I'm chasing. So I'll be all in on this fight. I think it scores highly. Uh, but I'll go with Colby by unanimous decision. Co-main event, you got two legends, Jim Miller versus Clay Guida. You thinking Jim Miller gets a first-round submission at home, or is uh, Guida going to take over late? I mean, <laughs> Miller definitely cost me on his last two first-round submissions. Uh, I don't think I had much, if any, at all. Um, and I'm probably looking at the same thing in this one. With him at being 8900 he's just going to be priced out of a lot of my lineups uh, because I don't think he's going to get a first-round sub. But if he does, he's going to burn me again. Um, I think Guida can kind of control where this fight takes place. I think his movement is going to give Miller issues. I just think he's going to be the faster guy in there, landing a little bit more. And I think he's going to win a striking-based decision here. Um, so I, I like the dog here at 7,300. I don't think he scores highly. I could see him getting like a 60-point win, which really won't help us too much uh, because I do think there are a lot of live dogs on this card. But he's one I like for sure. And at 7,300, I'm definitely more willing to put him in than I am Miller at 8,900. So I'll be rooting for Guida to get the job done, but it does scare me with the fight being in New Jersey. If it's close, they might go to Miller. So uh, it's, it's, it's not a confident pick, but I do like Guida here. 
In the lightweight division, you got Joachim Silva taking on Nazrat Hakparast. And man, from a drafting perspective, how do you kind of see it going? Because you know Hakparast has that volume, Silva has that one-punch knockout power, and the jiu-jitsu. Where do you stand from a drafting perspective? See, it's a close one. I'm going to lean Hakparast here. I-, I do love the volume. He could put out Silva as well. Um, 9,100, he could even he could even put that up in a decision um, so I definitely like him. I think he's got a solid floor as well. But Silva's definitely live, like you said, for a knockout. And if he wants to take this to the ground, he can get a submission as well. Uh, but I think we're relying on the finish with Silva, where I don't see him winning a decision here. So um, I'm, I'm definitely picking Hack Press to get the win. But 9,100, it's hard to pay up for him um, when there's other 9K guys like Colby Covington, who I like more. So um, he'll make some of my lineups, but he's not going to be a guy that I'm super heavy on. And then Silva at 7,100, if he does win, I think he's going to pay that off. So I'll definitely be targeting him as well, but GPP only. So middleweight division, you got Trevin Giles taking on Mirshart, and obviously Giles is the more athletic guy. He can definitely win by knockout, but Mirshart, he's got more subs on his record than I believe Giles has fights. So which side are you, uh, are you leading with? Yeah, I like the dog again on this one. Um, if he wins, he's for sure going to pay off that $7,700 price tag. If he wins, probably by a submission, and that could come in the first round. So I definitely like Mearshart here. I think he has one of the better shots of 100 points as an underdog. So he's going to be one of my favorite dogs of the week. Uh, but Giles does have 100% takedown defense, and if he can keep this fight standing, then he's probably going to win, and he's probably going to knock out Mearshart. So I love this fight as a whole. Um It'll be in most of my lineups. I'll have one or the other. I won't be stacking it in cash or anything, but I love this fight for GPPs. I'm going to prefer the dog. I'll have more of him, but I'll definitely have a good investment on Giles and GPPs as well uh, because if the whoever wins this fight, I just think they're going to score well and maybe 100-plus points. So give me this in most of my GPPs. I'll take Mearshart to get the upset, though. Scotty Holtzman's taking on Dong Young Ma. They got Scott Holtzman 9,300. Do you think he's going to come out here, get that first-round knockout, and uh, cover that? I don't know. I think he definitely could. Uh, but he's he's got 100-plus point potential even in a decision, I think. So I definitely like him here at 9,300. He's one of my favorite plays on the card. Uh, Ma puts up a hell of a pace, so I think he's going to make Holtzman fight at an even higher pace than he usually does. And and his last three wins, he was over – no, his last four wins, he was over 100 points in all of them. So I think he has a solid ceiling here. Um, I do like him to get the job done, so he's definitely my preferred pick. I really don't care too much for Ma here unless I'm throwing him in like a couple hedge lineups. But I think Holtzman's the pick, and I think he gets a clear 30-27, maybe like 30-26, something like that. But I, I like him here, and I think he probably does put up 10x or more. So there's a lot of split opinions on this light heavyweight fight between Kennedy and Zechuku and Darko Stosic. So I got to know, where does Big Marley stand uh, on this matchup? Man, I really don't. I have no lean on this, honestly. Um, so the way I'm going about it is I'm just going to have more Kennedy because he's cheaper. Uh, it's kind of a dog or pass for me. If Stosic was the dog, then I'd, I'd prefer him. Um, but I, I do love this fight. It's another one that I'm going to be putting in most of my GPPs because whoever wins probably wins by knockout, and that's going to score highly. I think it's not going to even hit the third round. Um, so I'm going to be targeting both sides heavily. But at 7,800, uh, Kennedy fits just a little bit better in the lineup. So I'll probably have a little bit more of him. 
maybe something like 40% him, 30% Stosic. But either way, I'm going to try and be overweight to the field on both of these guys, and I'm just chasing the high score from the winner. Hopefully I can hit 30K with the right combo. Well, Kyle, that's why you are the DraftKings guy for half the battle. It's going down this Saturday in Newark, an early start. They can follow you at Big Marley 3, and they can buy your bets and your write-ups at bestfightpicks.com. That's right, man. I just finished uh, my DraftKings write-up, sent that your way. It's only $7.99. It's over 17,000 words. I think you guys will enjoy it. It'll definitely help you learn the game of DraftKings more. It'll even help you with your betting, I think. So check it out. I think you'll keep wanting to buy it. It's pretty popular. Um, And then, yeah, bets. I'm going to finish those up right now, send in your way as well. I'm ready for a sweep. Hopefully we get it. Let's clean up this week. Now we got to talk about the fight to watch and the fighter to watch. So, Shaq, what is the fight to watch for UFC Newark? My fight to watch is going to be Antonina Shevchenko versus Lucy Putalova. Look, Lucy can't lose this fight if she does this three in a row. And look, if Shevchenko loses this fight... Her and her fake sister are complete frauds. I mean, look, I also want to hear Valentina say, hey, 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 over and over again as well. So that's the, the fight. I want to see who's the who's the fraud. My fight to watch is Joachim Neto BJJ Silva versus Nazrat Akbaras. I feel like there's no possible way that this is a boring fight. I, I mean, Joachim Silva, anytime he fights and he's got a willing dance partner, it's a recipe for fireworks. It's a recipe for chaos. I truly believe Joachim Silva and Nazrat Akbaras are about to go out there and uh, throw some serious haymakers at each other, and there's a chance someone falls. That is my fight to watch. Shaq, who is your fighter to watch for UFC on ESPN5? Yeah, my fighter to watch is going to be Joachim Silva. You know, I feel like this guy gets constantly slept on in the lightweight division. And I feel like this weekend he might possibly open up some eyes. He's a big underdog against a, a big-time uh, German prospect. So Joachim Neto BJJ is one of the most exciting fighters in the 55 division, constantly showing new skills. And I think that uh, he's the fighter to watch. Yeah, look, my fighter to watch is uh, Scotty Holtzman. Look, this is a guy who just had a kid. He's super motivated. He's bringing his child to watch him fight for the very first time. And if you think he's coming out here to hump Dong Young Ma's leg, you're in for uh, for a big surprise because he wants to get a highlight reel knockout. He wants to jump on top of that cage he wants to bring his kid inside the octagon afterwards to have that big moment you know like kind of like cowboy does lately when he's been getting these finishes scott holtzman is my fighter to watch i think he's going to come out here with a chip on his shoulder trying to land a devastating knockout for his family so for that reason scotty is my fighter to watch well Shaq, we did it it's going down this saturday on espn they can follow you at mma genius 05 they can follow me at best fight picks they can get your bets and my bets at bestfightpicks.com. Use the promo code Shaq to save 10% off Shaq's individual package. Like I said, buy one, get two free. If this week's event doesn't come through for you, you get the next two events free. So a lot of value there, a lot of bang for your buck. So sign up today. Yeah, and that buy one, get one, two free is for Shaq's individual package. So not only are you getting buy one, get two free, you're also getting 10% off by using the promo code Shaq. So make sure you take up Shaq on that offer let's get let's get this money my boy Shaq's been up all year I've been up all year as well but right now we're running that promo on Shaq's best because he does have the number one ROI in 2019 guys we're in August it's not uh January or February anymore let me know who else has a 40% ROI go to bestfightpicks.com make sure you subscribe to half the battle on iTunes SoundCloud YouTube Stitcher Spotify iHeartRadio, Music Radio all these places we're everywhere please make sure you follow us 
and hook up those five-star reviews on iTunes. We really appreciate that. If you if you give us a five-star review on iTunes, you take that screenshot, I will give you my two bets for this weekend free. So thank you guys for that. Again, follow me, Best Fight Picks. Follow Shaq MMA Genius 05. Thank you guys so much for the support. We love you all. And until the next time, let's cash these bets.